0: Without question, the greatest sadness in our lives was the passing of our youngest son, who was in his early 40s.
1: Jeremy died from an aggressive form of lymphoma or cancer. He left behind a wonderful wife and three beautiful young children.
0: We'll talk about what that was like and about another possible such death that hopefully can be averted. Welcome to the Before We Go podcast, Featuring Dr. David Maines and his wife, noted author Karen Maines. Here's David and Karen Maines. Life is a great gift that shouldn't just be taken for granted. You never know because of an unprecedented pandemic or an accident all of a sudden, or maybe just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. A life is snuffed out like that, and there's no way to bring it back.
1: Yeah, Jerry, as I mentioned, was 42 years of age in the prime of his profession in life. And he was an immigration specialist. So our dialogue with him was always filled with information and insight about the immigration communities in America.
0: Yeah, he was excited. He had been accepted by the University of Chicago, which is a tough one to get into. Tough
1: school to get into to pursue a master's. He was a wonderful artist, but very engaged with the people around him. And he was a great kid
0: because even extraordinary individuals can die prematurely. I think wise and loving people live with that possibility in mind.
1: You know, this hit me early because my father died when I was 33 years of age, and then my mother died three years after dad had died. And so I've always taken that as a reminder that I'm not to take life for granted or that we will have a long life. I'm 77 now, so I've lived past the age of my parents. But particularly in relationship to you and our marriage. I think that their deaths had such extraordinary impact that I wanted to make sure that our lives as a married couple were lived richly, that we Mm -hmm. really engaged and that I was part of that in process of engagement with you in our work as a team in ministry and building our family and Mm -hmm. and caring for other people. And I think that we have really done that, not perfectly, but well. But it's been because of that reality that there were no guarantees on tomorrow. And it wasn't just an intellectual exercise with me. It was a deeply felt emotional reality Mm -hmm. as well.
0: I'd say it hit me really hard. I'm a minister. I've seen a lot of deaths, Mm -hmm. been involved in numbers of funerals. But it wasn't until Jeremy died that it really smacked me hard Mm -hmm. that life has no guarantees. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's make a transition. A fact that maybe not a lot of people think about is that nations also die. Maps get updated regularly. Mm -hmm. I say that quickly. Then I say, well, can I give an example? I think the Crimea, Mm -hmm. Russia has come in, taken that over Mm -hmm. in just the last several years. And now the whole area of it's Ukraine, uh-huh. it's going to have a different map. Uh-huh. You know? But that happens regularly. The, the map of the countries of the world, say, of 20 years ago is very different than the uh-huh. map that is presently there. America, in my mind, is going through a very stressful time. Some of that relates to leadership. The parties complain about one another, who the right. leaders are, and so on. But it's also, Karen, this nation is going through a historic change. That's uh-huh. a seismic size.
1: Yeah, and it's a shift that is not talked about much in the media because they're focusing on the obvious problems, such as the pandemic. We've had what many people have called civil unrest with the demonstrations and some accompanying uh, terrorism that went along with it.
0: Well, you uh, talk about systemic racism. Systemic,
1: A great great conversation is systemic racism, but there's another seismic shift that's going on. Well, let
0: me see if I can describe it, okay? okay. When I was growing up, this country was...
1: Predominantly.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think how to say it. It was white and Christian. Mm-hmm. It's no longer Christian nearly to the degree that it was. Mm-hmm. This is a different world in that sense. And it's also true that it's going to be in another 20, 25 years not white anymore.
1: Not predominantly white anymore. Yeah, that's, yeah.
0: Thank you. That helps the way you said not, <laughs> <Hopefully>. predominant,
1: <Yeah. laughs>
0: not predominantly white. So that is a massive change. And the new groups who are coming in, mm-hmm. they want their share of freedom. They mm-hmm. want their share of security, all those things, which an economic that's a huge base, part of it. Yes. But mm-hmm. also
1: political Power. And that's what we hear a great deal of today is vote, vote, Mm -hmm. vote, vote, and a lot of voter registration going on and attempts to point out the places where there's voter suppression. Here's
0: one of the big facts of life. Those people who were the minority people Mm -hmm. for many, many years, they refer to this oftentimes that you don't get power just granted to you. Right, You have to forcefully take it away.
1: Right. And I like Niebuhr's work. He was uh, a philosopher, a uh, theologian. a
0: theologian. Uh, but a
1: philosophical theologian. Okay. And in 1932, he wrote a book called Moral Man. And What's his first name again? It's mm-hmm. Reinhold Niebuhr. He wrote a book, Moral Man and Immoral Society, a Study in Ethics and Politics. Now, much of this is beyond my ken. <laughs> I have to read and reread a lot of the things as he writes. But One of the points he made in this book particularly is people in power do not willingly, in fact, I think he would have said never willingly give up their grasp on power. So that when that power is evil or ill intent, or there has to be kind of a benign power. There have to be sort of cataclysmic events and efforts of all kinds, and he defines them in this book, that will unseat that power because his point is power, once attained, is not ever easily given out over. People who have power do not give up power easily.
0: Yeah, that's true of, I don't care... It doesn't matter what, it can
1: be a it's business, a a, a, you know, business yes. or, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so it's just a part of the, our human quality. I've
0: seen a lot of times with people who should have retired four or five years earlier than they did because they were eventually forced out. Mm-hmm. And oh, uh, they could
1: be owners you know, themselves. Uh-huh. We have a lot of stories today uh-huh. in the tech community where someone got something going technologically wise and then couldn't give it up for better leadership. They were great innovators but they didn't know how to organize or run an organization.
0: Yeah, oh I've seen that. I've seen that in situations with friends of mine. Uh-huh. You know. It's just kind of a pleasurable thing to have that power. Well, it's
1: part of our human nature, yeah. you know. It just is.
0: And this has created a huge tension mm-hmm. within our land.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that we need to recognize that. We are part of the white group that has been the, dominant, yeah, been the dominant privileges for a long, group. long time. Okay, suggestions. Mm-hmm. What, what do we do when that tension comes mm-hmm. and it's very palpable mm-hmm. and it's difficult to try to live during those transition times? I'm almost embarrassed to say this. I have four suggestions. These are four
1: David Maines principles. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I tried to take them out of Scripture, but my feeling is that people are going to say, what in the world? That's the most preacherish sounding <laughs> suggestion list that I've ever heard.
1: Well, you're a preacherish so I guess that's that's going to follow.
0: <laughs> what do we do in times like this? Yeah. And
1: when, let me...
0: When there's a power shift going yeah, on and it affects everything.
1: Yeah. Let me name that power shift a little bit more so we're really aware of it. Those of us who are benefits of the... We don't think of ourselves this way at all, but we are benefits of dominant white structure that has controlled the economics in the country and the political systems. In and the, the money. Country, and the money. So when that begins to shift, and we're watching it shift now, right now, and we can actually go back 10 or 20, 30 years and look at the women's movement. It first started out as, and it took, I think it was like 100 years for women to get the right to vote. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, they sort of had to exclude the black women. I mean, the white women achieved suffrage, but the black women didn't have it. I mean, this is a really, really interesting study, and there's been a lot written about it because we are at the 100th anniversary of women receiving Mm -hmm. the right to vote. So that was one movement in fairly recent past that we've been studying that we can sort of say, okay, well, that's how power that was vested basically in the hands of white males
0: mm-hmm. was
1: shifted as women moved into a point where they began to share that privilege. So what we have now is we have, particularly over this summer, with the Black Lives Matters movement. Yes, right. Let's mm-hmm. put it in that terminology. But it is really wanting to share power. Sherry powered decision making, mm-hmm. sharing national mm-hmm. and a corporate a place at the table. A place at thank you. That's great. That's a wonderful picture. A place at the table. But what we're experiencing now is much more subtle because we are shifting from, as you have said, from a white dominant, mm-hmm. basically religious based Christian nation to one that is multi diverse. Diverse in its racial makeup, diverse in its color because mm-hmm. of that, diverse in its Religious orientation and affiliation, in fact, in some ways, the migration of Mexican people, particularly into America, has renewed our religious spirituality because a predominant amount of them are Catholic or they are of the Protestant group, but in a different way than you and I have been.
0: Yes, hmm Let me just say what happens in part of the turmoil here is that once the dominant group Uh knows that it doesn't have the numbers anymore, then in a democracy like this, what they do is to begin to restrict the voting rights Uh of the people who are in the minorities Uh so that even though the power group doesn't have the numbers, they figure out how not to let other people vote. Uh And we're seeing that go on Uh in some ways throughout the country. But all this is to say, I don't want to sound like we're partial in one way. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to describe well, some of the angst that is going on.
1: Well, this has happened through the centuries. For those who are aware of the shift in culture that we're going through, we see reaction to that shift in culture, but probably and maybe not even articulated or known by those who are adamantly resisting that shift. Because this one is subtle. It's more subtle than some other shifts would be, that we're having a shift out of the white being the dominating power in our culture. We're not there yet, but it's shifting.
0: And I want to go back to where we started. Okay. I want to say that not only can people die, uh-huh. nations can die. Right. That's just a distinct possibility that uh-huh. things can turn chaotic, uh-huh. things can turn violent. What can we do as believers in this time? Okay. Okay, now, now I'm saying here, I've talked about a huge problem, and how do I get into simple answers?
1: okay, I think what you have to say, David, is extraordinarily important, extraordinarily important for Christians to hear. okay, let me and get begin out of to ver- prayerfully grapple with okay? okay, I'll
0: get it out quickly because you've encouraged me, okay, I'm almost hesitant to say it again because this is the first thing number one, mm-hmm. I think we should live righteously. Now, I'm almost hearing the response of people. What did he just say?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, theologian. (laughs) To live
0: righteously. Here's my point. Mm -hmm. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any Mm -hmm. people. That's from the Proverbs. But I'm going back further than that. I'm going way back to the book of Genesis with the story of Abraham, who's had it revealed to him by God that the city of Sodom is going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. He's concerned because he has a relative. Lot is living in Sodom. And Abraham begins to wrestle with God, and he says, you know what? This is not fair. There's some righteous people there. You can't destroy the righteous with the ungodly. Mm-hmm. What if we could find 50 people who are righteous in Sodom? And God says, okay, if you can find 50.
1: Do you have any idea how large the population of Sodom was? And we don't I, I, really know, do I we? let's say thousands at least. Yeah. Then,
0: then Abraham begins the negotiating in prayer. He said, what about five less? Forty-five. <laughs> Okay, says God. What what about this 40? And then then he goes down by tens after a while, and he gets it down to if there would be 10 righteous people, God says that will preserve the city.
1: Oh, my goodness. But they
0: couldn't find 10. Oh, my goodness. 10 were not there, and and Sodom is destroyed. Mm -hmm. Uh, The righteous just get out in time. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're taken out. But I look at all that's going on in that story, and I'm thinking, it's very important for me and for you and for all who bear the name of Jesus to live righteously, because I think nations are destroyed Uh all through history. I mean, you go in the Bible, Uh you you read the the whole of the northern kingdom, Uh it's gone. Uh You know, people talk about the lost tribes of Israel. Those 10 lost tribes, they're lost. Uh Why? Because the nation fell. Uh It's not that long afterward that Judah, the southern kingdom, falls. Conquered by Babylon, it, it's not all that long, and Babylon is gone, and and the Persians who take over from the Babylonians, they're gone. You know, uh-huh. this is the story of the world. Uh-huh. So in that time, I, I today in my life, I say, why don't I sin? I'm, I'm not perfect. Uh-huh. I got all kinds uh-huh. of flaws, but I live not perfectly, but I do live righteously. And part of the reason I live righteously is because I want to be one of those who God can find when He looks at the nation. And he says, Do I show favor to these people? If there can be this many righteous found in Mm -hmm. a nation of hundreds, you know, of of millions of people, I feel that's important. Mm -hmm.
1: So, Uh, what we're saying to the folk who are listening to us, who are believing and practicing Christians, is that this may be confusing times, but in God's eyes, you have a crucial role to play. Yeah, Jesus
0: says, You are the salt of the
1: earth if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith
0: will the earth be salted? Mm -hmm. I sound like King James, Mm -hmm. not only preachers, but King James Mm -hmm. preachers. But these are important things. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's not just a personal matter, but it's a matter in terms of even my role as a citizen in America, I want to be a righteous person. Lots of times I say, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk that way. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to get into even verbal violence. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's important that there be righteous people uh-huh. who live in the way God wants us to live in this land. And we are the preserving element in uh-huh. terms of society.
1: There's this wonderful concept called positive deviancy. And when I was working on the board of an international faith-based development organization. Go back and see what that was again. It's positive deviancy. They are positive deviance. So they're not like other people? Is that well, what you're let saying? let me tell you a story. Okay. There was this little village, it might have been Southeast Asia or maybe in South America, I can't remember, where there was a common pot of food that the women would prepare and then the whole village would eat uh, that common pot of food. Mm-hmm. And the village was very malnourished. But particularly the children, their growth was stunted. They were skinny like you see malnourished children. And their height, that health workers measured their height and the, the span of their upper arm. You can tell right away how malnourished they are by those two measurements. Their height indicated malnourishment. But there were a few children who were healthy and thriving. Same village, same pot of food. The NGO workers, those are non-government organizational workers, just couldn't explain it. Because they'd seen it so much, they were not positive deviants. (laughs) They didn't come in with an outsider's eye. And there happened to be someone traveling with them. I I think it was someone studying malnutrition who looked at these children who were healthy and thriving in this village and said, well, something is causing this. Let's figure out what it was. So they watched the mothers feeding their children out of the common pot, and so everyone was getting the same food, except here are these children also being fed out of the pot who are thriving. And when the outsider looked at the situation, he or she saw that the mothers whose children were thriving dipped their ladle into the bottom of the pot and scooped up the vegetables that had fallen to the bottom of the pot. So the Mm -hmm. children weren't just receiving the broth off of the top of the pot. So there are two examples of positive deviancy there. It was the outsider who was looking at it, whose eyes had not become so familiarized with poverty that that person couldn't see what was happening. And then there were the mothers who had the instinct to give their children not just save that food for the workers, for the men who were doing hard work. But they had the instinct to dip off the bottom so that their children had more substance in their food. So we have positive deviancy in both of those areas. I think in our culture, we need to think about righteousness as being a positive deviancy. I like that very much. A yes. positive mm-hmm. deviancy. Yeah. And so what we need to do is to really act out the two great parameters that define who Christians are. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and mm-hmm. strength. Do we do that? For the sake of the nation. For the sake of the nation. Do we do that? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors out. Mm-hmm. as yourself. Yeah. As yourself. And so we get out of that, then, you know, treat others as you would have them treat you, the golden rule. This is imperative understanding. This has to be actualized understanding. It has to not only capture thinking with a verbal and intellectual assent, but with a passionate participation in it. I will be a positive deviant in my culture. How is the culture going? And what is the scripture way of being? I'm going to choose the scripture way every single time I can. Yeah,
0: and I'm going to live righteously. I'm going to live I'm, righteously, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be, tell me that phrase again. the
1: Positively deviant. <laughs> I have friends who just have picked that up like crazy, going around doing their home. I'm a positive deviant.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we we got one. Here's my second Okay, I, I good have, job.
1: That was great. I have four of these. <laughs> All right.
0: We pray passionately. I think by the word passionately, I'm almost saying it's not enough just to pray by yourself. Mm-hmm. This is a day when we need to learn to pray with one another.
1: And regularity. There has to be a regularity, yes, not just I mean, a one-time.
0: Yeah, And it's just that as soon as you say, pray passionately, that's hard to do and sustain it just by yourself. Uh You know, I'm a minister, so Uh ministers should pray a lot. Uh And I do pray a lot. I have two extended prayer times every day. Uh If I miss it, it's not as though the world has fallen apart. But I don't get into that passion like I do when I pray with others. Uh I I have a group I pray with every week. Uh and, And we pray for the nation, have cried over the nation and say, Lord, preserve this nation. And It's, I've a, heard it's, those, an, it's I've a unique
1: place. I've been yeah. in the room. We've had the uh, prayer group on speaker. I have to come in and put a paper on your desk or pick something. up. And I've heard those people weeping, their tears. I mean, it just is so touching and so moving to hear Christians who are praying passionately who get Deep down into the emotional meaning of what they're saying. And I think God gives them the gift of tears. You
0: understand all of a sudden you have a relationship with someone else that goes very deep, not only as your friendship, but into the whole history of the cause of God. Mm-hmm. From the beginning of the world, we're the people who have strong feelings about this, mm-hmm. and we encourage one another. Mm-hmm. Live righteously, that's important, during times of turmoil. Pray passionately. Mm-hmm. Next one is to vote intelligently. I've talked with people, you know, are you going to vote? Oh, I may, I may not. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to. You and, and people say, I don't like either side. Right. You know, that's not your option.
1: So how do we help them? I think that you say, well, it's not just a vote. It's an act of righteousness. Can't we say that? Voting? I would
0: say you don't have an opportunity mm-hmm. in this kind of a day to refrain from voting. You are a participant. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, you're never going to find the perfect candidate. Mm-hmm. And if you do, there are going to be people who don't like him anyway. You know. So look at it. Don't just vote rather to vote, but vote intelligently. You say, of these options, this is the one that I think is the best option.
1: Yeah, but I'd like to lift this act above just being a civic duty. I think that we live in a America and we take for granted the great benefits this country offers to us. And we're in a season of very negative discourse. But you talk to the internationals who come to this country or want to come to this country, and it's a totally different story. Our son-in-law and daughter, Doug and Melissa Timberlake, are teaching English through a program called italki. So they are giving English lessons to people from all around the world. It's the most darling thing I've ever heard when They talk about the people they've talked with. So they have young kids, they have students, and they have professionals that they're talking with. Every single one of them admires America. Yeah, They would love to here. live here. That's why we have such an immigrant population. And I remember when I was doing the book on the refugees, when I would ask people who had come over the border or been taken out of the South China Sea because their boats had sunk, Why have you come? And all they have is a little bag in their hand, you know, Mm -hmm. four corner tied. That's all of their possessions. They've left everything, history, family, country, all the familiarity, their language. Why have you come? To be free. Yeah, freedom. To be free. So let us as Americans step up to vote, even in an imperfect system, because that's what we're voting for, really. We are voting to be free and to offer that freedom who come here to this country.
0: Let's add one more. Okay. I am doing relatively well on the first three. This next one, I, I'm not doing. That's so a yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tell us what it is. <laughs>
0: uh, fast occasionally. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't like to fast. And I don't even pretend that I've done it nearly as much as I should. But when you come to critical times, that's one of the areas where you say, okay, this is where there is great meaning. I'm thinking of, again, a biblical illustration of this, the story of Esther in the Old Testament, where a whole nation is in danger of being eradicated. (laughs) Esther, in God's providence, has been put into a high-level situation as the bride of the king, Nobody can go in or talk with him unless he holds out the scepter. But now the Jews are in real trouble. Is their very existence going to be taken away? Esther has been told she's supposed to go in, but she says to Mordecai, who is her uncle, you know, "I can't do that unless he puts out the scepter. So here's what I want you to do: I want you to gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day." And I and my maids will fast as you do, and when that is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Hmm. But she's saying, okay, we're at the end of things now. It all rides on this. Mm-hmm. I need you to call a fast Uh and we'll join with you in the fast. And they fast for three days. And of course, you know, the rest of the story, there's a huge time of victory when God in his providence just sets up one thing after another and the whole situation is reversed and uh, the Jews are put on top. Uh But I think we're at a place where in the church, it's going to be the need to call for fasting, Uh fasting and prayer for this land, because the land is in trouble, I hear it all the time. Uh, And the the strange thing is I hear it from supporters of one political party, and I hear it from supporters of the other political party.
1: We all recognize this common truth. uh
0: So now the question is, where do we go? And I think it's a time for... You know, in East Tennessee, there were these marvelous times of a moving of the Holy Spirit recently. hasn't gotten the press as much as other stories.
1: Uh This is a a movement of God in our current history? uh Yes, and part of
0: that is because the people were fasting. They were fasting and praying. I think in terms of my life, if, if I look at the simple things that I'm saying, here's what we could do. This is a time when the Lord is saying to me, David, you need to take it a step further. Uh-huh. You need to start fasting, uh-huh. especially in these times until there's some kind of a resolution to this struggle that we're going to too simple, all of this?
1: No, I, I think it's complex. Not that it can't be understood, but they aren't simple answers. Yeah. Let's put it that way. They're not simple answers. This is going to require focused attention. Yeah, We're going to have to wake up every morning and saying, what is the role I'm supposed to be playing mm-hmm. in the preservation of the best ideals of American democracy?
0: Yeah. Let me see if I can put it into a sentence. Okay. Okay? <laughs> because extraordinary nations can die before their time wise and loving people do all they can to see that this doesn't happen. It would be an absolute tragedy beyond anything you can imagine for this country to fall Mm -hmm. because of outside nations against us or because internally we -hmm. we just were so divisive that we couldn't pull it together and we destroyed each other. Mm -hmm. So, Just like our son could die, an extraordinary young man. So again, here's that sentence. Because extraordinary nations can die before their time. Wise and loving people do all they can to see that this doesn't happen. And basically what I've said is, can I get those four simple suggestions? Live righteously. So we're
1: asking our listener to examine and say, how am I living righteously? And what do I need to change so I can say I'm living righteously? Yeah.
0: Pray passionately.
1: So am I praying passionately? Do I pray? Do I give myself to substantive amounts of time in prayer? Mm -hmm. If not, then how do I begin to change that? Yeah, vote intelligently. Right. Have I done the research? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's easy just to read one side that you agree with. But do I understand why other people feel the other way? Am I Mm -hmm. voting intelligent? Am I making that decision to inform myself and educate myself? Yeah, fast occasionally. I can't fast. Well, i <laughs> say
0: yeah, you, you've lost all the weight. I'm so in, underweight. Coming could, from a couple of days in the hospital.
1: <laughs> couldn't yeah. even find a place to give me a needle shot for pockets of fat in my body. But I can fast in other ways. I can find That's other exactly ways to fast. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say.
0: Yeah. I hope this is helpful. Yeah, it's always good to visit with your friend. Thank you for taking the time to listen to what we have to say. You've been listening to the Before We Go podcast. And if you would like to write to us please send us an email at the following address, hosts at we go dot show. That's all lowercase letters, hosts at beforewego.show. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and share on whatever platform you listen. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Mainstay Ministries, Post Office Box 30, Wheaton, Illinois 60187.